I think in God's grace, he provides suffering. He don't only lets it happen, he provides it. And so whenever the heartbreak comes, you have a little tiny open door to talk about God's sovereignty and the life that is not, the real one is not here. The best life is not now. <laughs> so whenever true suffering presents itself, you have to take it as an invitation to talk to them about how good God is right there, right in that moment. So it is so wonderful for us to be here uh, again to have another conversation for GLOW, our podcast with the Gospel Coalition Podcast Network, us four ladies uh, from different parts of the world talking about God and his work in our lives and ministries and what he's doing around the world. Um, today, we're going to be talking about prosperity theology. My name is Blair Lynn, and I am joined with my sisters, Aisha De Lopez, Sharon Dickens, and Sujin Park. And um, again, we're talking about uh, prosperity theology. And, and there's this popular message that's preached in many of the largest churches around the world that actually contradicts what Jesus and his apostles taught. Its origins are built on a quasi-Christian heresy that was popularized in the 19th and early 20th century in the United States, known as New Thought. Um, you know, New Thought is a philosophy which taught that the key to gaining wealth and health is thinking and visualizing and speaking the right words. And many are told that God's greatest aim is to bless them with an abundance of wealth and perfect health. Uh, I know as a child, I fell prey to this message, this teaching, like so many others around the globe. I attended a church influenced very much by, you know, God wants to bless you. Um, and I, I, at one time when I was a teenager, was a Creflo Dollar partner. So I would give my money as a 17-year-old so that I could sit in the VIP at the conferences, um, you know, sit in the front. And, and so what we were often encouraged was to sow a seed of faith, right, to give our money in order to get money from God or to get other things from God. Um, another way is like name it and claim it. Currently, we hear a lot about manifesting. That's kind of the popular term, but it's really that old new thought uh, teaching. And so um, this teaching started in the United States, but I'm interested to hear, you know, as it's made its, round, its rounds around the globe, what does the impact look like where you live? Yeah. Um, sadly, I see the trend where you bring a message about um, just this overwhelming um, wellness, you know, Uh, all around wellness that is promised to you, where is it going to resonate more? Where is it going to affect more with the people that need it the most? And so it's so sad to know that this is uh, the vulnerable people, the most vulnerable people are the ones clinging to the message more. And Guatemala has been infected by it. I'm going to use, that's a strong language, but that's how it feels like. It's an infection. And I think it's rampant throughout Latin America. Uh, you see poor communities just filling up uh, stadiums or, you know, uh, gatherings uh, throughout the region just in hopes of receiving that miracle, if only they believe. Uh, so, it's, so, Ayesha, can yeah. I ask you? Yes. I'm always interested. Um, what happens to someone who is 
the most poor and destitute. Um, and they just, it, it, it doesn't go their way. God doesn't get them what they want. How does that impact their life with Jesus? It's it's a very evil, cruel way of, um, you know, the mechanics of it because they keep people hopeful. Yeah. If only, you know, it's sort of like when you sit, when you see people sit down in those machines in Las Vegas, maybe next time, if I only believed. And then when things eventually don't work out, it's all on them. They blame, you know, the, the, the line goes like, well, you didn't believe enough, you doubted. Uh, you know, prosperity teachers have a way of um, twisting even the outcome. And so they all always have an excuse for it or they blame you for it, which is so cruel because I think I, I will go as far as to say it's satanic because people lose a hope and not only uh, in the leadership, but in, in the Lord uh, in a very in, in false grounds. You know, so it's always manipulated. Um, and when the outcome doesn't go the, the way that, that you want it, it's it's never sovereignty. The, the, the Lord's sovereignty is never taught. And there's no theology for suffering. So there's no framework for that. It's either you get it your way or maybe something's wrong with you or your faith or you don't love God enough or or there's a generational curse. That's a, another favorite so it's very sad. It's mm -hmm. tragic. Mm -hmm. How about you, Sharon? Is the prosperity theology prevalent for you? I'm um, so very similar to some of the stuff that um, Aisha was saying. It would be um, when I was a, a younger Christian, I would have seen it more prevalent, uh, probably because a bit like you. Uh, I went to churches uh, when I was first saved that weren't preaching a gospel that I would now, now recognize. Um, and so um, it, it has had, had an impact. But what we're seeing now is, so very much when I was younger, it was much more um, people that were, were charismatic. Um, some of my friends come from that side and it's really demoralising. It's very, they're very dissatisfied. It's very emotive. And my friends always chasing the next prayer or feeling or meeting that she needs to, never a satisfaction in God. Um, and then there's always that striving for the next, the next healing, uh, the next breaking off. Or, um, and I, 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 it's, there's a discontentment that's there and it always makes me sad. But more so what we're starting to see now in the last, I would say, three or four years, we're seeing this influx of what would be more recognised as the African prosperity gospel. So like the, they have these strange names where it's all about get a job, get money. I get the big car, get the big house. And so we, it's that twist of what and that misunderstanding of what blessing actually is. That's exactly what I was going to say. The words have been twisted around so much that it's, it's biblical language taught in an, in an unbiblical, terrible way. So there's tons of confusion. So you speak about blessing, but it's not the blessing that Jesus teaches. It's 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 a, just another thing. And the scary thing is the thing that so it's this the thing that scares me the most, particularly about the friends that I know, is this right that they feel that they have to demand from God a blessing that they feel justified in asking. And there's 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 more than a petulance there, um, and there's no reverence um, for God, and it's that scares me. I mean, he's not, he's, he's not like some sort of secret Santa that, 
dishes out this list of things that people think that they have to have in their life to be satisfied. But yeah, there's it, it, that, that element of um, always looking for something that they're never going to get. And that dis- dissatisfaction, not only with themselves, but particularly with God when they don't get it. Mm. It, it makes me think, uh, you know, when I was young, coming up, uh, really bound to this teaching, um, you know, I took so many scriptures out of context. So scriptures, like I could do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it meant I could fulfill my business plan and I could, you know, have the career that I wanted and the house that I wanted. And um, it wasn't until I was able to really see, well, wait, what is the context and why do I desire things more than God? I remember I was at this church and uh, I had been reading through the um, the bread of life discourse, you know, in John 6, which talks about, you know, of course, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And, and the Lord really ministered to me because he said, you know, in your church context, you guys would be so excited about the fact that he was able to give this bread out and give these fish out, which is great. But what about me? <laughs> I am the bread of heaven, you know? And and I remember telling my friends, I was at my prosperity church, and I was like, well, Jesus is the bread, you know? <laughs> like I was running around and they kind of looked at me like I was crazy. I'm like, we're so excited about the miracle, but what about Jesus? Um, and this is actually before I was actually a believer, but it was like the Lord was just, just had began to minister to my heart and point me to him. But we often want things. We often don't want the Lord, which is so sad uh, that it's been so perverted. The message of the gospel is so perverted uh, that it's no longer about God anymore. It really is all about us and our, our life. So when you started to question that, I mean, apart from the initial shock, what was, how, how did your friend respond to you challenging them through some of the questions that you were asking yourself? Yeah, I certainly didn't have it all figured out at the time. You know, this was just kind of one moment that I had with the Lord. And they just kind of looked at me like I was crazy. Like, okay, why are you so excited about this? You know, Um, and so it wasn't necessarily well received. So eventually my zeal kind of died out. And by God's grace, a few years later, actually came to the Lord. Um, But I do look back on that moment and I say, thank you, Lord, that, you know, I was able to be right there in the midst of poor teaching and the Lord in his mercy was still ministering, calling me out of darkness, you know, uh, into his light. Amen. I can, I can, I can second that. Um, I am a living testimony of the power of God just picking you up from wherever you are. Uh, my husband was associate pastor to a megachurch. It wasn't outright prosperity gospel, but it was enough man-centered that I would say um, it wasn't healthy. Um and the Lord took it upon himself to transform the way I saw him. And so there's, you know, there's even, uh, as someone would would uh, had said it uh, before, there's pockets of grace, even in those contexts, because God is merciful and he's beautiful and he wants to save. So he does. And some very well-meaning people just give themselves over even to those bad leaders um, and he does save, even in the midst of that context. So I'm thankful for that church where I was basically born, in spite of it, even. But, um, you know, there's so much love that I received through that. Um, but I would say it's, it's what you said is central. It's the man is the center. We 
what we want. But I think even the fact that you said your previous church, it wasn't fully prosperity gospel, but it was man-centered. I think that's so important because even in the U.S., I see a lot of um, well-meaning Christians in these contexts where because they're not explicitly preaching like you're going to get rich, they think it's not prosperity gospel. But there's so much more to it. Um, there's like that subtlety of prosperity gospel in that you could preach a good message and at the end like sneak in the, oh, but we will not take no for an answer. Like God will absolutely heal you and there's no other way. And that's it's the same mentality, right? It's what you said about there's no fear before the Lord. You demand things from the Lord. It's that posture of, I have determined for myself what I need and want, and God will give me that. It's not about God, it's about you. And so I think a lot of times when we think prosperity gospel, we're like, oh, I'm going to get a car, I'm going to get a house, these very explicit things. But I think it shows up a lot, especially here in the States, in very subtle ways as well. I agree. And I was thinking even as an American, the whole concept of the American dream can just cloud our minds, you know, and our eyes, our vision. And, you know, we look up and we're pursuing the American dream. We're not pursuing the Lord, you know, but often we might be in churches that are considered evangelical. They might, you know what I'm saying? Like these aren't, you know, the list of the names that we can throw out of those who are teaching health and wealth gospel. Um, But it might be happening in our own churches, in our own hearts. And I think even the way you said, it's always the most needy who are drawn to it. I see it too in like immigrant communities here in the States and just how they're plagued by it because the American dream is so real for them. Like they want it so badly. And I think that's a scary part about America too, is that upward mobility is possible and they see it. And so it's very much like a reality and it becomes entrenched in them that this is what God wants for me. What God wants for me is the American dream. It's the big house with the fence and the picket, you know, white picket fence. And those things are all good, but it turns into God wants this specifically for me. And there's, and I kind of like what you guys said, I think when people don't find that kind of quote unquote favor in their workplace, in their career, whatnot, I've seen people just distraught and destroyed because it's not just career failure. It's not just financial failure, but to them, it becomes spiritual failure. They're, Mm -hmm. They're crumbled in every way. Yeah, um, I I would like to just point out that there's something that I see in Guatemala. You export a model, a culture, and it's not, you know, we didn't get a Bible culture. We didn't get a scripture-loving culture. We got these celebrity platform lights, miracle culture. (laughs) And so you can go into a very small village. But if there is a prosperity gospel uh, church there, the temple is out of, you know, context. The pastor will be like a celebrity with uh, expensive suits. He'll drive around in the best car. And this is like, wait, this is not even culturally, you know, it's just not congruent with the with 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 the culture but that's not what matters the most it doesn't reflect the love of jesus it doesn't reflect the lifestyle of bible believing christians so that's kind of weird to me and i see it like you can see a televangelist you know tbn for example and then go into a small little town and go into one of those churches and it would be a replica 
of that that you saw on TV, which is wild to me. Right. Just the influence. It's interesting how like we can have this idea of what we think God wants us to have. These are not promises that God has given. These might be promises a man has given, you know, a pastor or evangelist has given, or even we put upon ourselves. And then when we don't receive those things, it impacts our whole faith. It impacts how we view God. Like there's no room for a Job in the prosperity God. There's no room for Jesus. For a Paul. You know what I mean? Yeah, the idea of suffering for righteousness sake, uh, for having everything stripped away because you're righteous, because God is testing you. Like he has an actual plan and he's working this out for his purposes. Um, uh, one of the things that I think is important for us to define, because we talked about you know, the health and wealth gospel, I think it's important for us to think through, well, what is the gospel, right? Uh, what What is the good news? And so I'm wondering, Sujan, if you would share, what's the gospel? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of different ways you could put it together, but um, this is how I want to share today is the gospel is the good news that though we have all sinned and justly deserve punishment, God accomplishes salvation for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the life of obedience we could not and became the perfect sacrifice on our behalf to atone for our sins. He will one day return and rid the world of all traces of sin, fully restoring creation so that those who have faith in Him may enjoy our lives with Him forever. Amen. And I love that unlike the prosperity gospel, the true prize of faith is not material things, but Christ Himself. And there's the emphasis on the fact that restoration is not going to fully happen until Jesus comes back. And so our lives will not look sparkling clean until that point. And that, until that point, we will still suffer, like you said, even in righteousness. Yeah. That's right. Now, how do you get someone there, right? So, you know, you have someone like me, you know, at one time, like you at one time, um, Aisha also, who was just bound to this teaching. You know, if you know someone who's struggling and kind of just inundated with this belief that this is God's plan for my life. All he wants for me is to bless me and he wants to give me everything that I want right here and right now. How do you walk with a person? Uh, How do you point them to Jesus and to the true gospel in a loving way? I think in God's grace, he provides suffering. He provides it. He don't only lets it happen. He provides it. Um, And so whenever the heartbreak comes, you have a little tiny open door to talk about God's sovereignty and and the life that is not, the real one is not here. The best life is not now. (laughs) So whenever there is heartbreak, whenever there is suffering, you have a door open. And a lot of the times what happens in these contexts is, the people, especially in leadership, they go through it, but they won't talk talk about it. They hide it because that's not victorious. And so what happens is you get a, a people who live two lives, and that's a tragedy. That's not God's will for anybody. So whenever true suffering presents itself, you you have to take it as an invitation to talk to them about how good God is right there, right in that moment. So that's what I would say. Um, I think we've talked about it in other episodes, 
Um, we talked about hospitality, about really getting alongside someone and being intentional. And then actually at the end of every single episode, we um, quote Matthew where it's talking about um, being a light. And so the reality is when you're walking with someone continually, we have every opportunity when we're talking life and what they heard at church on Sunday and how they're coping with um, a certain scenario or even dealing with their discontentment to continually bring in light into the, the, the untruths that they're believing, to speak gospel truths, to remind them about Jesus, to continually point them. And I think my, I've got a friend who um, I would, I mean, she's very much driven by, fueled by and spends her life um, listening to um, unhelpful teaching like this. And she absolutely, with a passion, loves the Lord. Um, and she, she's had, um, I would say, very unhelpful teaching. But actually, she's very capable of thinking through like yourself um, with challenge and over the time and it's not been one of those five minute conversations we've been in each other's lives for a long time and it's a long walk to always be speaking the truth and being faithful and so not only speaking word but showing her in the midst of suffering like you talk like you, like we were talking about earlier uh, what it looks like to be clinging to Christ what true blessing truly looks like um, the fact that being content, our, our greatest and most glorious blessing that we could ever have is the, the like our salvation. And grabbing the fact that if we got nothing else from Jesus, that was more than we ever deserved. And constantly speaking those truths into our life, what's been really interesting is that she's starting to do like what you were saying earlier, Blair, asking questions about things that she took for granted before. Um, and so I, I, I think there's lots of ways you can sledgehammer um, pieces of scripture and you can walk alongside um, you can but all the time I think that we're continually supposed to be just speaking truth speaking the truth in the love which we talked about in the hospitality co uh, podcast where we just speak well faithfully lovingly compassionately truth into people's life stuff they might not want to hear um, but we love them enough to tell them anyway and also suffer well yourself uh, one of the greatest blessings that we have as a family is being near people who have lost a lot. They have been great witnesses to our children, I would think. Um, you know, people who've lost wives and brothers and mothers and babies and, and are still tender toward God, we stick close to them and we just watch them suffer well for Christ and and that just takes care of a lot, <laughs> suffering well uh, and keeping a tender heart uh, toward God. Even that doesn't mean that you don't struggle. You struggle, but you struggle, in, you know, trusting and you don't hide your struggle. That's part of suffering well. And I think that speaks volumes of, you know, how people understand who God is and what he's supposed to do for you. If they watch you trust him and struggle and be angry at the loss and go through all that in front of them, I think it's comforting. Yeah. And I also think on top of that, um, what's really, really helpful is to demonstrate to others this longing for eternity. That even if you're suffering, even if you're doing really well in life, even if you have a lot of material things and other people look at you with envy, to constantly remind them, and yet I still long for something better. I still long for eternity. I remember in, in college, I, I um, saw a pastor weep as he prayed just to be with the Lord. 
to be with the Lord in eternity. And I just remember that made such an impact on me. I've never seen someone weep for something beyond this life like that. And I, I, I still hold that memory to this day. And I think it's really greatly shaped me. And I think to show others who are struggling with this idea that they need to have material things here on earth or a certain lifestyle or certain favor here on earth, I think to remind them that we are meant for something far greater I feel like there's nothing more that you could do for them than to give them that reminder. That's so good. It's just a, another testament, as all of you guys have spoken on, loving someone that's different than you. We're in such polarizing times, and I think typically the temptation is just, I'm just going to hang out with my people, and those are their people, you know? But it's like, no, these are people that I'm called to pursue and love, even though we may be different. Um, and that's an opportunity to be able to share Christ and share the gospel. Um, now we're going to transition to some other differences. We're going to shine the light on our differences. Um, so what's the cheapest thing someone could get for you that le would legit make you happy? Oh, I got a story for this. So I love my aunts. And one of them was a single mother with three kids. She's, you know, Imagine the struggle that she went through. But she made sure to give us a gift on each birthday and Christmas. And she would go to a thrift shop. Shop. We have little thrift shops in every neighborhood in Guatemala. And you can get stuff for pennies. But she would pick out the right size, the right color. And she would take it home, wash it, and wrap it up and tell you. This is from the thrift shop. But I love you, and I thought of you when I saw this. And, I mean, I don't remember many other gifts from my childhood, but I do remember her and that heart. It didn't take much. It's, it's going to be one of these, like, reoccurring themes where things mean something but weren't expensive. Um, we, have this, um, we have this woman at church. She's, like... I mean, we talked about hospitality recently and honest to goodness, she's like, that's that's her. She lives this life and um, she thinks and um, cares for and act actively pursues to want to love the church well. And she does this in really like small and insignificant ways. And, and, her, and she does it a lot. And so I remember one day I was having a pity party and I remember it was actually a really bad day. But I remember praying through the whole day and saying to God at the end, because sometimes when you're on your own and you've got a lot of things going on, the last thing you want to do is is cook dinner. And I'm like, I was having a moment. I was like, I don't even have anybody to make dinner for me. And then I was like, get a grip, Shabba. Like, get over yourself. And I prayed and sorted my heart out. Went about my day and did everything. And I was walking the dog like that evening. And I'm thinking, oh, I need to think about dinner. And she sent me this text. And then the text, it says, I've left something on your doorstep. And when I got home, there was this little bag and inside the bag was like dinner and dessert and a little note. And she does it all the time. And so I was blessed by the fact that God loved me through her and the insignificant, like really insignificant moments. But also the fact that she loved me enough to think about me and make me dinner. It was amazing. I mean, it tasted extra special, but she does it all the time and I love it. And um, so, yeah, when people do stuff like that, leave like little parcels of food or donuts or flowers on your doorstep when you come home. It's amazing. That, re that reminds me, um, one of the things that I love receiving is um, my kids at times, like they'll send me little, they'll write notes and draw pictures. And my daughter, um, 
she has the gift of encouragement. <laughs> so it'll be like, mommy, you're doing a great job, you know? And I just think like, they don't have to uh, write these notes. You know, no one's forcing or, you know, saying write a note for me or anything like that. This is something they're doing just out of love. And uh, it just means so much to me. So I'll receive a note from my kids anytime. <laughs> Speaking of notes, I also love anything written. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm the type of person, I have boxes of anyone who's ever written me cards or notes since I was in elementary school, I still have with me. Yeah. So words are big for me. So I always say um, like the best gift I could receive is like a really thoughtful card or letter. I'll just immediately weep <laughs> and I'll treasure it forever. We all know what we're sending. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. yes, exactly. Long letters. <laughs> Cards from all yes. over the world. Uh-huh. Yes. Yes. Awesome. So. Do you know the thing that, I know we've done the light and the difference things, but the thing when you think about it, um, at the heart of everything that we've said is people are giving their time. Uh, or I mean, it's not even sacrificial, although I would find writing a letter sacrificial have to check my spelling but the reality is it's that giving of self to show that you're loved I mean that's none of us said oh the best thing that I ever got was and named a thing it was all an element of the feeling that was behind it what drove the answer and so when it comes down to it that's what's important I mean we get distracted by the bling but it's just distraction it's it's just making sure I'm staying on track (laughs) Um, I'm, I'm ending it today, girls, and so I am thankful for the chat. It was, um, I love the fact that the more we get to know each other, uh, the more stories that we're telling, um, and the deeper the conversation, so I'm grateful for that. So thanks for listening. Thanks for sharing. And I want to finish with our, our verse, Matthew 5, 14 to 16. You are a light of the world, a city that's set upon a hill shall not be hidden. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a basket, but on a light stand and it gives light to all who are in the house in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven and hope to see or listen to you or whatever it is all again soon glow is a part of the gospel coalition podcast network to listen to more shows by tgc visit tgc.org podcasts